welcome to the Freudcast. Just three little letters, KFC, represent an iconic global brand. There won't be many people that don't know they stand for Kentucky Fried Chicken, while there are very few who do know its famous secret recipe of 11 herbs and spices. While the business was started by a stereotypical southern gentleman in the US in 1952, in the UK in the 2020s, it's run by a woman. Paula McKenzie has been with the business for much of the last decade, becoming general manager in the UK and Ireland in 2017. Just the latest in a long line of impressive roles that have helped Paula tackle the inevitable challenges of running such a high-profile company. If I go right back to the beginning, um, I studied economics at university because I'm, I'm, I think I'm a social science scientist. Like I love where art and science kind of comes together. And I think I've just always been interested in like what makes the world go round. And economics for me has always just like ticked that box more than any other discipline. So I did economics. Um, I, I really didn't know what to do after university. I think that's like most people at that age. And although I had done an internship at Ernst & Young, which was to finance, you know, some trips around Mexico, I didn't really know what to do. So you end up kind of doing bar work and, you know, various temping jobs. And then Ernst & Young, who had offered me a job off the back of that um, internship, still had a kind of like start date that was late November, which was the last one. And although I had got jobs at Unilever in brand management and things like that, I took the Ernst & Young one thinking, OK, well, at least I get a qualification. At least, you know, three years later, I, I get this chartered accountancy thing. Um, and so I think that's the truth of me. There's always this like pragmatic core thinking, OK, that's the, that's the smarter answer. So I did accountancy for three years. To be fair, I really quite hated it. And I went and even got another job with Karen Millen because there's this like kind of fashion and branding side to me. And I guess this was the 90s and Karen Millen was cool. But but then there's a pragmatic over that's just like you've started it now. Just goddamn finish it. Um, so anyway, long story short, I did three years of accountancy. I qualified as a chartered accountant. You know, I really didn't enjoy it. But what what was cool is the people. And so actually my um, Ernst & Young start group, as I would call them, I like my second university crowd and, and we're still in touch now. So uh, just moving on from Ernst & Young, I knew I wanted to work in brands and consumer brands. I'd always audited consumer branded companies like Coca-Cola and um, Costa Coffee and the Hilton Hotel Group. So I moved straight away to Diageo, which in those days was Guinness UDV. I loved Diageo. I did about four years there, various finance roles. I then moved to GlaxoSmithKline, so more drinks, if that makes sense. So from alcoholic drinks, I then went to Ribena, Lucozade, Horlicks, at a couple of years at GSK on, in the drinks world. Uh, GlaxoSmithKline, incredibly slow-moving company. I had not appreciated that underpinned by a pharmaceutical how slow that would be. And then I essentially got headhunted to Innocent Smoothies, which was the darling of the drinks industry. So I was like, oh, my God, it's like... Uh, it's meant to be. I, I have to go to Innocent because what are they doing that's so magical? Um, and then I went to Innocent, which was obviously a startup. And I think because I was a big company educated, you know, leader at that point, that helped me see what an entrepreneurial kind of where you have to do everything um, felt like as well. So I guess with those two facets to my career, I did about four years at Innocent Smoothie. I was the head of um, UK finance there and helped do the sale to Coca-Cola. Um, eventually KFC came knocking um, and they came knocking a couple of times actually and was like we'd like you to join as our supply chain director and I was just like you must be crazy like I, I don't really have any supply chain expertise and you know haven't you seen my CV I'm a, a finance person but they were just adamant to like keep come and talk to us and see what you think and long story short um, it made sense for my life at that point and I joined KFC 
almost 10 years ago now as a supply chain director um, and then quickly became the CFO, the chief development officer also. I even did a year as the chief marketing officer. And then in 2017, I got made the general manager. Um, and that's where we are today, 2020. Wow. And you call it to sum all, sum all that up with an economics foundation and the accountancy. You then get into brands, then get into marketing, then get into supply chain. You're you're a bit of a polymath. You like, And I, I want to know where that comes from. Is that just because you are just interested in how it all works? Is that is that the, the sort of basis of all of this? I think I am. I think I'm a good generalist. I love learning. I love understanding how everything works. I think once you change functional discipline, people get unduly hung up on that. Like once you've done it once, doing it the second time, third time, fourth time, it's just, it's not so much so difficult. And I hope in a constructive way, when it comes to KFC, in a, in a constructive way, my fingerprints all over everything that I've tried to make it better. Um, but I think, yeah, you really only understand business a bit like the economics part until you understand all facets of it. And I just love keep learning. Um, and there's still so much, isn't there? There's a digital space. There's all sorts of things that I, I definitely could know more about. Um, so, yeah, I think a generalist maybe reasonably good at everything. <laughs> I would like say jack of all trades, master of none. Um, but, yeah, and I, and I love people. So I think the other thing about general management that's always appealed is, um, I think you do two things. I heard this once, but I, I say it out loud too, which is you do two things. You do strategy and you do people. Um, and and that's, the main, that's the main job of a leader. And I enjoy both hugely. Yeah. Uh, and if people are faking it, if they are getting to that level and they're perhaps a bit misanthropic in reality and introspective, then they can't get away with it for too long. I mean, do you, do you feel that because you love people, you love the people you work with it's 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 obvious it's plain to see and you couldn't pretend otherwise i think that's right i think if you're in life doing anything um and if you're faking it that can only get you so far or so long before actually maybe you self-combust in some way um and maybe that's i've reflected on this maybe that's why there's so many midlife crises in life for us all maybe it's because i'm at midlife but you know if you're not doing something that's true to your value set i think you can only do that for so long and it's a bit like the go with it, the authenticity of being an auditor and an accountant it just wasn't me so I think you take, well, I think most people take decisions or make choices in a direction of travel that feels authentic to them. And that's what I've always tried to do. And I would encourage people to do the same. So I find myself like very honestly, genuinely like fulfilled in a really good way because I put my brain to every day the things I love, which is a brand, is food, is people, um, is making all that, you know, come together. So, yeah, I feel very content in that respect. I hope that comes across. Yeah. And you've obviously got to where you are on the hard work and the merits and the interest and all the things that make you who you are. But you are a woman as a CEO, obviously. Yes. Um, have, there been any have there been any challenges because of your gender in terms of reaching uh, the top table? Um, I'm just going to take your first comment, which is hard work, because I think that's often um, downplayed sometimes. People think, go with it, oh, you must be very lucky or something like that. Um, whereas when I got made the general manager, and I remember telling my sister and she just said, you know, of all people, Paula, I'm, she's like, I'm the least surprised. She just said, um, since you were five years old, you have worked your socks off. So I do think there's something in that to not downplay the hard work, you know, man or woman. Um, there's something about just pure, unadulterated hard work, because if it was easy, everyone would do it. So um, I, I think hard work plays a huge uh, part in it. But in terms of being a woman, you know, I thank my parents hugely that they had two daughters my gender never seemed to be an issue or a barrier to anything. And that was the way I was always brought up. 
I think it's as I, you know, as you you move on in society and you realize, oh, okay, like this is an issue for some people. <laughs> this is why is that? Well, you know, women are 50% of the population, and and I've had some horrendous experiences over the years, but you just, I think for me, there's an inner strength. There's like an inner steel and inner determination. And actually sometimes to goddamn prove to people, because I want to be a role model. I want people's daughters to grow up knowing that they can do what the hell they want to do. Um, it's important to me that I can be that authentic person too. So yes, it's a barrier sometimes. Um, there's all sorts of things you have to navigate to. I mean, the workplace over the last 20 years has changed so much in that respect, but I'm hugely proud to be a female CEO. Um, and I realized, I'd, I, especially 10 years ago, I was always trying to like downplay that I was a woman. These days I've learned to just like embrace it in the sense of people need to see senior women in senior roles. Sometimes some people, you can't be what you can't see. Um, and, and you play such an important role in society doing that. So yeah, I'm super passionate about that. As someone who is also the father of two girls, I'm really pleased to hear that. And it's the approach we take is that, Aww. I mean, it, it, and it's easier to say these days than it probably was when you and I were growing up. But there's nothing that should hold girls back because they're girls. And it just seems, even saying that out loud, it just sounds patently ridiculous, does, uh, given, where we're, given where we are now. Um, not only do you obviously love people, but you do love chicken. So how did you how did you feel going into the world of Kentucky Fried Chicken? What was that like as a bit of a leap from the sort of drinks experience and the caramelins of this world? Well, yeah. So I never actually worked at Caramelin, but I think you know from from drinks all the way through to then to go to food just felt a natural foray. And I have always loved KFC. So I can remember working at Diageo, which was behind Oxford Street in London, and you know, as a single 20 something, when I just had a really hard day and I didn't want to cook dinner, I would go to the huge Marble Arch KFC and order myself a Philip burger or a Philip Tower burger for, for supper and then get on the bus home quite happy with that. So there's an authenticity of the brand choice that was just, you know, I was, I, I'm a consumer, I'm, a, you know, a fan of the brand. And so, um, yeah, I think that's what I loved is, and I think it's, well, it, KFC, we are a mainstream brand. It appeals to 85% of the population use KFC. So uh, I love the fact that it's food and drink. Um, and who doesn't love, you know, talking about food and who doesn't love, uh, you know, even if you love to hate KFC, what I love is that people have an opinion on it. And then it's kind of, well, it is iconic. And that's kind of cool because um, obviously KFC and Coca-Cola are technically only the two secret recipes in the world. So to be the current, you know, guardian or custodian for this chapter of its growth, it's it really is. I do pinch myself. I'm I'm lucky in that respect. I, I get to do a job I absolutely love. You, you have teed up my obvious next question is, do you know the recipe? <laughs> Uh, not in its proportionate parts. No, there's only very few people in the world that know um, what's in what's called S blend, uh, the secret herbs and spices. So I know, yeah, it's very it's kept under lock and key uh, in the states. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but back to here though, and back to KFC in the UK. I mean, any business of that scale is going to have its ups and downs, and it's it's fair to say that. KFC has perhaps had more than its fair share of ups and downs in recent times. I mean, let's talk about the ups because you've recently announced you're going to be employing a lot more people uh, over the coming months, which is a brilliant thing to do in this year of all years. Yeah. You know, and genuinely, Matt, that was the thing that this year, in amongst everything that you do as a leader, and when we kind of were able to articulate that and then we put a figure to it and then and then obviously I was talking about it I had a real like pinch me moment in terms of this is probably the single thing that I'm most proud of from this year is 
not only keeping the 27,000 people or so that we have uh, essentially in employment is being able to recruit, you know, 5,000 more. It's just when people left, right and centre are losing their jobs and it was in, you know, it's in the press of all these businesses going to the wall. It makes you really proud that you can actually offer offer gainful employment for people to do an honest day's work, earn an honest wage. Um, it's really, really important to people's self-esteem, mental health, all of those things. So genuinely, that is the thing that I think in a, not in a legacy way, but just as a human, you know, fulfillment kind of way that's made me the most proud this year that we've been able to do that yeah and and focusing more on the purpose of kfc as a business uh in tandem with the profit i mean after all you you come from the world of numbers has that just become more of a natural evolution of of running the business that you you just think more naturally about how your impact what your impact is I think that's right. I think um, every year or every month that you do with the brand and you and the company that you run, you, you give it so much thought that it becomes like clearer and clearer the role it plays in people's lives or in society or um, go with it. There's that intersection, isn't it? And if you take it as a person, but it can apply as a business or as a brand or something like, you know, what are you good at? What does the world need more of? What can you make money from? That that whole philosophy, I think it's a Japanese one, can apply as much to yourself as an individual as it can to, you know, a, a corporate or a company. What is the role of companies? We could take this really deep. <laughs> but um, and so when, when I think about that intersection for KFC and I think, what does the world need more of? Um, what can we make money out of? What are we very good at? Um, you know, there, there, there's a, it starts to get clearer and clearer for me. And I think, you know, one of the roles that KFC plays is, you know, as life continues, no matter where you've had an amazing day or an awful day, um, and there's so many awful things that happen, but there's so many amazing things that happen. It's a bit like a cup of tea, I think, a KFC. It can make it better. In some small way, it makes it better, whether you want to celebrate something with somebody or whether you've had an sh- absolute shocker and you just want to take a moment and eat something pleasant and just and just kind of comforting. Um I think KFC has a role. So I, I see that role that it plays more than I probably ever used to three, four, five years ago. I, I am going to continue the Japanese theme because I think you're on something there. There's okay. another Japanese term called wabi-sabi. I don't know if you're aware of that. No. But it's, it's the way the Japanese uh, recognise beauty imperfection. In, 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 in perfection. In perfection, okay, uh, yes. So perfection is not sustainable. And the reason I mention that is because there have been some imperfect moments in the past couple of years in the form of crises for KFC. But what's true, as with Wabi Sabi, if I can stretch this analogy to its limit, is that you have come out somehow even better. So, for example, the chicken crisis when you couldn't get chicken to your restaurants, the way that the business dealt with that and the tone of voice that came through brought you so many friends as a result. Tell us about that. Yeah. Okay. So, well, firstly, I call it the distribution crisis <laughs> because the, the truth of it was, it was going that the chicken was there. We had the chicken. Um, we changed distributor and we couldn't get the rest, you know, the ingredients from our suppliers, you know, the distribution distributor can get it to a restaurant so it's important to me that we frame it up right in that respect and how we talk about it because you know that expression you are the stories you tell yourself too and again that applies to a human or to a to a company so it was a distribution crisis it was you know no one wants to have gone through something like that I can tell you that whether you're you know the leader like like myself or you're a team member in our restaurants no one wants to have experienced anything like that but it is true and you've heard me probably or you've read stuff I've I've said what doesn't kill you makes you stronger 
It does give you mouse ulcers. It was a horrendous time, genuinely. But you take the learnings. I mean, I don't think it's it's, hum- it's human nature. You have to and you should do and you reflect and you take the learnings. And I read something interesting the other day around, I don't know if it's Buddhism or if it's monks, but they believe almost that the same situation reappears in your life. And it's almost do you practice and do you do adapt at how you handle it. And so what's really interesting to me is who'd have thought that a couple of years later, the COVID situation in some regards, as you're closing, as you're closing nearly a thousand restaurants, and I don't think people sometimes think about the scale of this. This hasn't happened in the 50 years prior, right? And it happened once in 2018. And then in 2020, here we are again, facing the reality that we're going to have to close the full estate. Um, but if you take that that link of what you know, the, the Buddhist teaching of you're going to face the same situation and how are you going to handle it? Um, there's something in that for me that I would never have thought that the silver lining of that cloud from 2018 was that ability to go, you know what, like we can close and we will get right back up again and we can do this. And I 110% back this organization and everyone in it to do it. And I know we can. So that inner steel kind of comes through and and, you, and that's literally played out. That's what you've seen this year. So I hope that explains that. And then the tone of voice and the the confidence in that and the winning of the fans, you know, that's awesome because that is just us authentically speaking as us, as us. And it was bold and brave to put that out there, but that was us speaking as us and people connected with it. And so I think if you stay true to your authentics overuse, but I, I genuinely mean that. Um, that's what I felt. I, I will only refer to it as the distribution crisis. Apologies for that. But <laughs> no, just, reflecting on the tone of voice, I mean, one of the most memorable elements was how KFC's social channels dealt with it and maintained a sense of humour. And look, KFC as a brand is obviously global. It's American. But there was something uniquely British in that being able to laugh at a bad situation and make the most of it through humour. Yeah. I mean, and that's because that that work, whether it's um, the phenomenal people that run our social channels through to our fabulous, you know, UK partners that help us with our creative, our talented marketing team, you know, staffed by multicultural, multinational people. But the essentially we are running KFC in the UK and Ireland for UK and Ireland tastes and um, cultural norms and all of those things. So it was put out with that, you know, deliberate centricity of how the brand speaks in this country, but not with an irreverence of if you're reading it in any one of the countries around the world. I think when you're a global brand, you have a duty of care to make sure that it's not, you know, misunderstood in wherever that shows up in the social, you know, the internet <laughs> it is, is not border constrained. So um, yes, we were mindful that there were swathes of the world where that could be misconstrued or it was a, potentially a bit on the edgy side. But it just felt, you know, that you have to make tough calls and, and that's what it felt like was the right thing to do. it. And the public played that out. But you're right, there's always an element of like drawing breath to go, have we done the right thing? <laughs> I, I, I'm interested in digging into a little bit that that way that you as a British business leader then relate to your partners globally. For example, I notice in the States, KFC has partnered with Lifetime TV to make uh, a new show called A Recipe for Seduction. We would love to see that. I think it launches uh, in a week or so's time. But how how sort of across do you have to be with what they're doing there and elsewhere? And how much, how across do they have to be with your message and your approach here? How does it work? 
So there is a lot of collaboration. And of course, there's a there's a central, um, small, actually, to be fair, team based in Dallas, that's our global team that is, you know, joining the dots on these things. I think the thing is about running a decentralized business over time is that the brand stands for slightly different things in different countries. Um, and what go with that, you know, central CMO role or any of those things is trying to make sure that there's a common, there's lots of common threads. And so I think what you're seeing from the US team is, um, you know, dialing up of almost like the feistiness, that kind of spirit from the kernel. Um, how it shows up in the UK is just in a slightly different way, but there's still common threads. So yes, the global CMOs definitely all connect, but there's no pressure to necessarily to like adopt each other's work, if that makes sense. Let's have a look forward to next year because I think everybody is looking forward to 2021 in some way being better than what we've had this year. But in terms of the business and having bounced back from both those crises, there's almost once in a generation crises coming two years apart. Mm. Um, what are your hopes on top of the uh, continued employment of, of, of new staff? What are your hopes for, for the next few months and the next year ahead? And do you mean that specifically for KFC or just generally? I guess KFC, but also for, for you personally. Mm. Um, I, I hope the pendulum um, can shift slightly for us all so that we can do a lot of the go with it, the freedoms that now you realise you took for granted. Um, so for a small example, you know, I was sitting in our investment board yesterday and um, that's where we approve new KFCs and people obviously have a lot of photos, you know, of the site and where it is. And one of these sites was in central London and it was a summer's day um, and people were freely walking around. It was quite packed, as you would expect, central London. And there was no masks and people were very near each other. And it just took my breath away for a second as to how my new normal, everyone's normal, that you don't see that. I think I was pining for the sun as well. But um, it was a busy central London. I'm a Londoner by birth. And just seeing people freely walking around without masks, I was caught in a nostalgic sense of, oh, my goodness, wasn't that amazing? Um, and then another thing that, you know, like I've adopted my Peloton as my new best friend and the Peloton classes of old, there used to be people in the goddamn studio cycling along with the instructor. Now you get used to doing the classes and he or she's there by themselves. So I just hope we get back to that time where humans, we're all social, natural, other human loving creatures we get to just do a few more of those things like, you know, blow out birthday candles to each other and just give, you know, random people hugs. Because <laughs> I think, uh, especially bringing up children, that's sad, that's sad for me that they're going to miss out on some of that. So that's what I hope as a person. Um, but then a lot of the things that I've loved, you know, spending time in my house, seeing my family more, I do think the world of work and I hope to be the leader that can instill that. I am not like, you know, advocating everyone rushes back to some kind of head office, um, that we've just taken a moment to realise that jobs can be really flexibly done. Um, so that's important to me. Uh, and we, we've come full circle, really, back to that point of, of purpose. And, and in building out this new normal as, as a leader of a business, do you feel that the approach has to be, be more balanced for people? The work-life balance wasn't necessarily right before but it can be something to aim towards now it's more licensed to do that now because of the year we've had I think so I think that's right I think the balance had gone awry in different things but I think it wasn't just the world of work I think it was the world of socializing you know the pressures we were putting on ourselves to just do so much um and then maybe there was still a legacy narrow-mindedness that you know certain roles or certain tasks or whatever can't be done from a kind of home environment so 
Yes, I agree with you. I think it has recalibrated that you can be even more flexible than you thought possible and tasks that you thought could only be done in a certain location. That's just really not true. At the same time, I think we've all realized there's things that we've missed from the world of being in an office together or celebrating together or brainstorming together. You know, the, the communi- I know with a communications background, the communication cadence of operating and leading team meetings on bloody Zoom or Teams, it's not a natural communication style, the stop, start, stop, start. Um, so there's a few things I'd like to go back to um, how we had it before. Thanks a lot to Paula and to you for listening. You can hear dozens of other episodes of the Freudcast at Apple Podcasts, Spotify and SoundCloud. Keep up to date with Freud's on Instagram and LinkedIn. I'm Matt Barbette. Bye for now.